Isaiah chapter 14. Lucas is ready to go to the nursery. Is TJ going to go too? TJ's so quiet you wouldn't even know he's there. All right, have fun. Okay. Did TJ get to play in the snow a good bit? A little bit. Not a big fan? Okay. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, it was the real cold there one day. It was a little bit warmer today. Yeah. Yeah, he got in the sandbox uh, today. Huh. He threw the Kubota a little bit today. Mm. He said, I'll remove snow, but I don't want to play in it. That's funny. Okay, Hosea 14, and then we will pick up. We finished verse 6 last time, I think, but let me... Just get my bearings here real quick. What we're looking at in Hosea 14 is God's promise to restore Israel. God's promise to restore Israel. And since we are finishing up the book, uh, I think it would probably be good for me. I'm going to use my board a little bit tonight. But it would be good for me to talk about some things that that are somewhat basic in nature, but good to hear. Uh, Again and again, you have three major people groups in the world, three major groups as far as the Bible is concerned. This is the way God sees things right now on earth. You have the Gentiles, you have the Jews, or Israel, and then you have the church. So, if you're saved, you're a part of the church, which is His body. The church is the body of Christ. That's everybody that's saved in the whole world right now. They're all in the universal, invisible church, which is the body of Jesus Christ. And then also, you have people that are in heaven, souls that are in heaven that are a part of the church. If they were saved during the church age, which began with the... uh, the day of Pentecost, uh, that was after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down. That's when the body of Christ started. So that's Acts chapter 2. And everybody that's saved is in that church. In the church, there's no national distinction. There's no Jew. There's no Gentile. There's none of that. In the church, you're all one body in Christ. Even the people up in heaven that are saved, they're a part of this Body. That's the church universal. There's also the local church, but that's not what we're talking about right now. And then you have the Jews. We're talking about the restoration of Israel. In other words, uh, Israel is going to be reborn as a nation during the time of the tribulation. So there will be something new done. Think of restoration. Think of renewal or rebirth or a new beginning for the nation of Israel. That's going to happen during the tribulation at the end. Uh, there specifically. So you have the Jews. That's what we're talking about in chapter 14. Then you have the Gentiles. We're also kind of talking about them. The Gentiles is anybody that's not a Jew. Anybody that's not a Jew. So that's all the nations of the world. Um, But once a Gentile like myself, I think my family history is German, uh, a good bit of it. Um, But my family comes from Pennsylvania and from West Virginia. And I think on my mom's side, there's a Scottish history there, but we're not too certain about all that. But 
those Gentile roots that I have, once I trusted Jesus Christ as my own personal Lord and Savior, I got into the church, so God doesn't see me anymore as one of the Gentiles. Okay? Three people, three groups. You've got to get in this group right here before you die. If you fail to get into this group before you die, you die lost and without hope. So, we're looking at the restoration of the Jews, but the God is going to, God's going to use the Gentiles to judge His people. The Jews are God's special chosen nation, and He uses the Gentiles to judge them. So in verse 6, His branches shall spread, and His beauty shall be as the olive tree, and His smell as Lebanon. Now right now, what you, what you have is you have the fig tree, which represents Israel. You have the tree budding. It's, well, there's green leaves, basically, is what you have. And, uh, but it's going to flourish. And what that is speaking of is it's speaking of, of Israel being renewed, restored to God, and then coming to life. So he says, this is a prophecy saying that it, it's going to happen. And his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. It's a real poetic way that God is speaking about. And this is one of the seven mysteries that uh, we've talked about in church a little bit. This is one of the seven mysteries. It's the restoration of Israel. When you're reading your Bible, you say, uh, okay, tell me why this is important. Well, this is God's Word. And when you open up, this is what happens. We open up the Bible, say we're reading in Genesis you know, and going through the Bible in a year, we have a tendency to open up the Bible and think that all of it is written to us. And that's, a, that's not the way it is. See, when you grow, when you start to mature as a Christian, when you start to learn some things, you start to realize, no, there's three groups of people in here that God's dealing with. And uh, you're part of the church. And so what you're reading uh, from Genesis 1 to Genesis 12, roughly, is you're reading about Gentile people. I mean, Abram, he was a Gentile. He, was, he grew up in idolatry. He, he was a pagan. And he grew up that way. And then you have God starting something with him and starting a nation from Abraham. Abram was changed to Abraham. And, and he became a father of many nations. But specifically, God brought from Abraham the Jews. So when Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob's... Twelve sons became twelve tribes, and that's the nation of Israel. Well, if you let me let me have one of those church Bibles. <clears throat> look look at this. If you take from Genesis twelve and uh, so before that, all that stuff is just aimed at everybody on the earth. But you go from Genesis 12, roughly, to about Acts chapter 12. Because at Acts chapter 12, the Lord really seriously uh, turns to the Gentiles. And from Acts 13 on, Paul is the main character there in the book of Acts. And Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. You say, what's that all about? God sent Paul to the Gentiles with the message of the gospel. Because the Jews rejected Jesus Christ. So God is letting the Gentiles in on the blessings uh, and on His plan. So what you have is when you're reading your Bible every day, up from 
Genesis 12 to uh, Acts 12, and this is just roughly, but still, look at that. That's all aimed at the Jews. And the only time the Gentile nations are mentioned are when they touch the Jews, when they come into contact with them or into, God uses them to judge his nation, Israel. So all of that is directed, first of all, doctrinally, to the Jews. That includes the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, everything up to the cross. God is dealing with the nation of Israel. Now you say, well, then why do we read the whole Bible? It's, it's, look at it like this. If you're reading it like all of this is directed at you, like some of the stuff you might read in, in Exodus, you, you're not supposed to abstain from pork, you know? You're not supposed to follow the dietary guidelines. You have no business uh, doing the Daniel dieting plan of pulse and water, things like that. We're told that we can eat everything in the new, in the, under the gospel, the gospel of the grace of God. We can eat everything. We can eat pork and all that stuff. But when we read this, we think it's all pointed at us, and it's not. Not first of all. But you can read the whole Bible, and every day of your Bible reading, say, Lord... Give me something today. I need something. And you can get something devotionally. Doctrinally, it's not aimed at you. Devotionally, you can get something from it all. And here's the difference. When Paul shows up, Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles. And he starts, he's, he's given some things that God wants him to give to the church. And all that stuff, all that's for us. But look, it's, it's not that much. It's just a little bit. Basically... It goes right through to Revelation 3. Here's the deal. There's some things in the Bible that don't line up with what Paul said. Like, abstain from pork. You're not allowed to eat pork. If you're a Jew observing uh, you know, the dietary restrictions under the law, uh, you're not allowed to work on Saturday, on, on Saturday. So when Saturday comes, you're not even allowed to pick up sticks in your yard, put them into a pile and burn them. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. God killed a guy for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. But listen, that's not directed at you. And it's not even for today. There is no temple. The Jews can't keep their own law. So when you're reading the Bible, you can get something devotionally from the whole thing. And the way that you keep it straightened out and to find out if something applies to you or not, is this is the rule of thumb. What did Paul teach? So if whatever you read lines up with the doctrine of the Apostle Paul and what he taught, it's okay. Wherever you are, in the Proverbs, Psalms, Genesis, wherever you are, if it lines up with what the Apostle Paul said, then you can apply it to you. But if it doesn't line up with what the Apostle Paul said, you can't apply it to you in a way that's like binding on your life, such as abstaining from pork or not working on the Sabbath day. We're, we're allowed to work seven days a week. But you still have that principle in the scriptures that it's good for you to rest one day a week. So it's good to take a break one day a week. But you can't put that on me doctrinally. You can't put things on me like observing holy days. In the New Testament, under the gospel, the dispensation of grace, under the gospel of the grace of God, um, I don't have to observe any day. Every day to me is holy. No day is more holy than the other. Easter is not more holy than any other Sunday within the year. That's, that's the difference. Uh, there's no thing on this planet that is holy. 
except my body and yours if you're saved, and this book. This building is not holy. This building's not holy. That cross is not holy. That's an image. God said don't make images uh, and use them for worship. Uh, that, that cross is not holy. That table is not holy. None of that stuff's holy. That's, that's Pauline teaching. Um, Jerusalem is not holy. It's not the holy city. You'd, you'd get that kind of stuff watching Christian television, but they don't pay much attention to the Bible anyways. Jerusalem is not holy. Not in this present dispensation. It's, uh, it's, un, it's an unholy place. So, that's the difference. When you read your Bible, keep that in mind. Throughout the Old Testament, you're in Jewish territory. So, in Hosea, where we are, we're in Jewish territory. But does it have any application to us? Well, yeah. Why did God bring in the Assyrians to judge northern Israel? Does anybody know? We've been studying it for weeks and weeks and weeks now. We ought to know, I guess. Why did God bring in the Assyrians from the north, brought them down to judge northern Israel, the northern kingdom? Yeah, they turned their backs on God, and they started worshiping idols. So because of their idolatry. What did they do when they started worshiping idols? Well, they became like the gods they worshiped. So they were living immoral lives, and there was all kinds of sin abounding. So what did God do? He judged them. He brought in a Gentile nation, brought them down to judge them and to conquer them. Now, does God do that same kind of thing in the Old Testament to Gentile nations? What do you guys think? Does God do that to Gentile nations or just to the Jews? So this is like, that's the Sea of Galilee, and that's the Dead Sea. This is Israel. Okay, up here is Assyria. And 721 B.C., approximately, 722, 721, God brought Assyria down, and they came down here and whooped up on the northern, northern kingdom of Israel. That's the north. So he whooped up on them, and then he carried them away captive into Assyria, took them out of their land, because if they wanted to remain in the land, they had to serve the Lord. But they didn't. They disobeyed him and served idols. So he said, I'm taking you out of the land. So he, they carried them away out of the land. Does God ever do that to Gentile nations in the, in the Bible? Well, think about it. When Israel was born as a nation the first time, when they came up out of Egypt, that's when they were born. Uh, and there will be a rebirth at the end of the tribulation. But when they came up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan, why were they there? God said the iniquity was full in the land. The Canaanites, they were Gentiles, and they were doing a lot of bad stuff. And God says, I'm merciful, I'm loving, I'm long-suffering, and I'll put up with people for a long time to try to get them the truth. But there comes a time when, when basically, you think of it like a cup, and it gets up to the brim, and when it's full, God says it's time for judgment. You know, I remember in physics class, studying, this was in college, but studying how many drops of water you could put into a cup. And, and actually the water will come up above the rim 
of that cup, and it'll kind of like, kind of uh, be a round surface at the top. The river, the river does the same thing. The river does the same thing? When it's flooding, it's crowned. It's crowned. There you go. It's crowned. Yep. The trash all goes, when it's starting to recede, the trash comes away from the shore. Yeah. And there's a word for that, and I don't remember what it is, but it's a molecular thing that happens. I think that's what God is like. I think maybe he does stuff like that to show us. Because he, talked about, he talks about the cup being full. The cup of his indignation and wrath. But it gets so high that God says, I'm going to have to judge you now. And so when Israel came in, and they came in to conquer the land, you know, Joshua and all that stuff, marching around Jericho and stuff, they were there because God wanted to judge the people that were there because they were doing stuff like sacrificing their babies to the god Molech. Which was, which was awful. But you know, it's kind of the same kind of thing that's going on today. People will kill children because they're not convenient. But he did that to judge them. There's another Gentile nation that was judged. Nineveh. God said that Nineveh, Ninevites are wicked, and Jonah didn't want to go and preach to him because Jonah knew that God was merciful and long-suffering and that God would have mercy on them. And Jonah, he didn't like them, and he wanted them to get it. You know, he, he said, they're going to get it, and I want them to be judged. So, what about America? America is creating, is, is guilty of the three great sins that God judges nations for in the Bible, and we've got it coming. So, do you say, does it have any application? Yeah, all kinds of application. And what you need is you need prophets like Hosea that would stand up and preach a negative message. You think about the prophets. He's one of the 12 minor prophets. They preached a negative message. They stood alone. Basically, nobody would stand with them. Eventually, they were killed for what they preached, most of them. And they preached that the people need to repent. They preached negative against everything. No matter what it was, at the time, they preached against it. And that's what a good preacher will do. A a good preacher will preach against the stuff of the world. No matter what it is in the world, if it's of the world, it's not of the Father, and God hates it. It's not good. If it's of the world, it's, it's... it's no good. If it's of the flesh, all right, it's keeping you from walking in the Spirit. So preachers will preach against that. And if it's uh, of the devil, you know, that's a no-brainer, right? Uh, shouldn't get into Satanism and reading any kind of stuff like that. Well, preachers will preach against that stuff. But, you know, oftentimes they'll, they'll have to stand alone doing it. And there's not many preachers that will. But we need to come to church, right? We need, I need it. You need it. We need sometimes just to hear the preacher say this is wrong and that's wrong and it helps us to stay in line and to serve the Lord while we're here. But then he preached, Hosea preached a message of, uh, he he said, uh, what you're doing is wicked. You need to repent because God's going to judge you. But then he preached at the end, the sweet stuff. Think about it. Israel is represented in the book of Hosea as an adulterous wife, a woman who steps out on her husband. Gomer represented Israel. So God said, that's what you're like to me. And Hosea, he was the faithful prophet and the faithful husband who took his wife back, took his adulterous wife back and, uh, sold, and bought her back from the slave market of sin. And, and that's what God is like. And so this book here, it tells us something about God. And we're finishing it up tonight. Tonight's the last night. It tells us something about God. Think of that. What, what an amazing story that Israel, I mean, she just did everything bad you could do. 
She was wicked. She was uh, terrible to her God. And yet God loves his nation and God is going to take them back. And God is going to love them again. He said, I will love them freely. And he's going to bless them. He's going to restore them. So that's what we're reading about in in verse 6. And you know what that means to me and what that means to you? If God can forgive Israel for all the things that she did and still love her because he made a covenant with her, several covenants actually, but because he made covenants with Israel and the ones with Abraham were unconditional, they they were basically based on God's faithfulness to keep his promise. God's made a promise to us in the New Testament, and it's unconditional. It is not conditioned upon our obedience. It is conditioned upon His own faithfulness and His promise. So really for us, it's unconditional. And God has made a promise, if He saved you, He will keep you. He will not. He does not throw His children away. He doesn't abort His children. And so, what we're going to read about in the end, there's not a whole lot for us to get there. But I want to show you when Israel gets restored... And what we're looking at right here is the cross. Then you have 2,000 years of the church age. And we studied about those 2,000 years back in Hosea chapter 6. It said, uh, after two days will He revive us, and the third day He will raise us up, and we shall live in His sight. Hosea 6.2. What that's talking about is after two millennial days of the church age. This is the church age. We're in it right now. And we're right at the end. Will come the rapture. Then you will have the seven years of tribulation. The great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. And at the end of that thing, Israel is, or during the tribulation, Israel is reborn as a nation. And when Jesus comes back at the second advent, he comes back to fight for his people. The second advent or the second coming or the second arrival, when He touches down on the earth. When He comes back, He comes back to fight for Israel, and He fights against the Gentile nations of the world that come against Him. Russia will come down to fight. It looks like sometime during the tribulation, Russia comes down from the north, and then uh, Syria and and some armies are going to come from the north there, and you'll have the, the United Nations coming against Israel to wipe her off of the map, they think. And when that happens, God gathers all the Gentiles of the world together to do something. You see, the devil thinks, I'm gathering all the, all the nations of the world together to just push Israel into the sea and get rid of them forever. That's what the devil thinks is going to happen. But what God's plan is, is when all the Gentile nations comes against Israel, and they're all lined up and all their armies are there to fight against her, God is going to come back and at one time destroy all of them. And it's one of the, it'll, be one, it'll be one of the most bloody uh, battles that have ever been fought in this world. And Jesus will be the one fighting against the nations, and He'll fight with the word of His power. When He comes back, He will deliver the Israel out of the tribulation, and then He'll set up a judgment, and then you'll have 1,000 years of a millennium when during that time Israel will spread over the whole earth. That's the picture of the vine, the, the fruitfulness and stuff like that. She'll spread over the whole earth, and the knowledge of God will be over the whole earth. does not happen in the church age. So verse 7, 
they that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn. So that revival, dwelling under his shadow, that's pictures of uh, God being like a, like a mother hen with, with wings and her chicks underneath her, or like a, like a duck with wings and her little ducklings underneath her. And so he's saying, if you're coming to me for safety, for protection, you'll dwell under my shadow and they'll return. That means that the Lord's going to have them return from all around the world. Jews from all around the world, when he comes back, will be gathered up at the end of the tribulation and they'll be gathered by the angels. And uh, this is some of the stuff that Jesus taught. And then they'll grow. They'll be fruitful. Then verse 8, Ephraim shall say. That's, okay, there's Ephraim. God has been using that name there throughout the whole book to say, all of you all, all ten tribes, nothing but a bunch of idolaters, you're wicked, judgment's coming, and uh, you're guilty of this and guilty of that, and just blam, blam, blam. And the preacher just landed on thick of how wicked and terrible they are. And he called them all Ephraim because Ephraim was the first tribe to go into idolatry. And then he says this, he says, Ephraim shall say. So what he's saying is that this idolatrous people, they will say, what have I to do anymore with idols? God is going to cure them of their idolatry, their idol worship. What have I to do anymore? What they're, going to, what they're going to say is they're going to repent and it's going to show by their manner of life. I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. They're going to say, my life has, has been changed now. I'm done with idols. And then he says, from me is thy fruit found. God is going to prove it to them that he's the one who blesses. He's the one that gives fruitfulness and not their idols. And they'll be cured, no more idolatry. Now, what is it that cured Israel of their idolatry? Just about every student got this wrong on the test. I couldn't believe it. I I don't know how many times I said it. What is it that cured Israel of their idolatry? It was the captivity. It was God bringing in a Gentile nation to punish them. They were carried off in captivity to another uh, land and uh, taken away from their culture and everything never to come back, but it cured them of their idolatry. No more kids growing up with that stuff, growing up and going to hell. None of that. So they were cured because of God's judgment. So uh, when it comes, it does do something. The verse 9, Who is wise, and he shall understand these things, prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. Now, you think about your world right now. Who is wise? That's a good question to ask. As you look around, uh, you, you go to school, you learn different things, and you learn things from a humanist point of view or an evolutionary concept and a worldview. Um, you learn things, and it's, it's just all about materialism. God's not in the picture at all. And if you go to a community college like I did, and you go there and you take your Bible with you and, and you take the Lord with you in your heart, they will laugh at you and treat you like you're the fool because you believe in a personal Savior. You believe a God that's active in the affairs of men. 
and uh, you believe in creation, you reject evolution. And if you let that be known, people will think they'll look at you like, uh, where did you come from? Because this is not a Christian nation. <laughs> it is not. They'll look at you like, where, what backwoods cabin did you step out of to come to this community college? And you know what? You need to just take it. Just take a stand for the Lord, live for him, and just take it. That's the thing is that that negative peer pressure, that gets a lot of people and makes a lot of people stay quiet. But if you start to speak up, guess what? People start to get saved and God starts to work and do things. But the pressure is there to keep you quiet and they'll treat you like you're the fool. And God says, no, the fools are the people out in the world. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. The fool hath said that billions and billions of years and God didn't create, things just evolved. God says those people are the fool and he shall understand these things. Now, verse 9 you also have to keep yourself in the context. When is Israel restored? When is Israel reborn as a nation? In the tribulation period, right about at the end. They come out of that. The Jews that trust Jesus Christ believe the preaching of the 144,000 and uh, trust in Jesus Christ and also keep the law and come out of the tribulation, trying not to get, uh, you know, trying not to get killed. Uh, They're not taking the mark of the beast. They're starving, a lot of them. Uh, They're being imprisoned for what they believe, those kind of things. But the ones who make it out of the tribulation alive, they're the wise. But the whole world will say, you're fools. A lot of them, most of them die. But, you know, there's going to be just millions of Gentiles saved in the tribulation period. Gentiles saved, Jews saved, but in the tribulation, there's no distinction. There's Jew and Gentile. That's how you know the church is not going in. In the church, in the church, there's no distinction. In the tribulation, there is a distinction. You have Gentile, you have Jews talked about in the book of Revelation. But they come out of that thing, and guess what? He says, who is wise? And he shall understand things. You know the wise? I'll read from Daniel but we study this in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 10. Many shall be purified and made white and tried. He's talking about the Jews that go through the tribulation. But the wicked shall do wickedly. Those are the people that reject God in the tribulation. They believe in the theory of evolution and they trust the Antichrist and take his way. The wicked shall do wickedly, and you can tell by the way that they live, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. You say, understand what? Look at verse 9 back in chapter 14. Who is wise and he shall understand these things. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look, if you don't get saved in the church age, but you hear the gospel and you just, you, I mean, you might have all the knowledge to get saved and it's in your mouth, it's even on your tongue. And all you have to do is just say, Jesus, I repent and I turn to you. I want you to be my Savior and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for putting it off and it's wicked of me. Sorry for rejecting you. Sorry for being ashamed of you in front of other people that, that were godless. But you just say, I want you, to be, I want you to be my Savior. Guess what? You go up in the rapture. But you can know all about the gospel, which America does. Do some street work sometime. Pass out some checks and talk to people. You'll find out people know a lot. But imagine those people who don't get saved in the church age. They know the truth of the gospel and they go right on into the tribulation. You know what happens to them? 
They're the fools. And God sends them a strong delusion so that they'll believe a lie and they'll believe the Antichrist lie. And they won't understand these things. They won't. But the wise are the people in the tribulation who believe the preaching of the 144,000, who hear the gospel here, didn't hear it here, so they're not responsible, but they hear it here, and they look, they look at that Antichrist and they say, uh-uh, not going that direction. They listen to these 144,000 preaching, and they say, I'm going with them. I want to be with God. I want to be with Jesus. I don't want to be with that guy, the Antichrist. Those people are the wise, and look what it says. It says that they shall understand these things. They won't receive the strong delusion from God so that they'll be damned. No, they'll understand. The Holy Spirit will be active in the tribulation, and He will give them understanding. Prudent, and He shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. And then when you read Daniel, all of it just comes together, really, the, all these prophets. When you read Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, and many of them... That sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. But you read that they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Who are the wise as far as God is concerned? People in the tribulation who are turning, uh, who, are, who shine as the brightness of the firmament, they that turn many to righteousness in the tribulation as the stars forever and ever. They're turning people to righteousness. He's saying they're the wise. But the fools of this world will believe a lie and be deceived and be damned. For the ways of the Lord are right. Now, listen. You and I don't understand that. We're talking about real people in the tribulation, people that live in the neighborhood right over there. Okay? In the tribulation... They're under the Antichrist system. They take the mark so that they can go to Walmart. We're talking about people, real people, that live right here. In here, in the tribulation, those people over there who know the gospel and are not getting saved. People who grew up in church, grew up in youth groups, and just raised their hand and just faked the preacher out and faked the youth director out and faked their friends out, faked their parents out, but never really got saved. Right here in the tribulation, being deceived... God sending a strong delusion, being deceived so that they cannot get saved, so that they're damned because they believed a, a lie. They would not believe, receive the love of the truth. You and I can't understand that. Going to a place with literal fire in a soulish body that feels pain and burning for eternity. I can't understand that, and neither can you. And... I don't like to say it. I don't even like to talk about it. You know, I don't like to think about my, some of my wicked family members who won't trust Christ. I don't like to think about when I give a track to somebody and they say, ah, that's not for me. Not interested. I know what's going to happen to those people if they don't trust Jesus Christ. So he says, the ways of the Lord are right. You see, you're dealing with the holy God. And one day when we have our glorified bodies and our glorified minds, we'll understand these things. And the just shall walk in them people who are justified and right with God, they will walk in those ways of the Lord, but the transgressors shall fall therein. There's going to be some people, many people, who have enough of the truth to get saved. 
and they don't want it. They'll even go with the people of God for a little while, but they'll decide, nah, instead of going on the narrow path and the straight way that leads to everlasting life, I'm going to go on the broad way everybody else is going on, everybody else is doing it, and I'm going to transgress and sin against God and go that way. And he says they'll fall therein. They'll fall under the judgment, condemnation of God because of their sin. And that's the end of the book of Hosea. But again, you had Hosea preaching to them because of their wickedness and their idolatry, saying judgment's going to come. Then you're going to be carried away captive. But in the end of the whole story, God wins. And good overcomes evil, and you will be restored. You will be reborn as a nation. And God is going to populate the entire world with His chosen people, the the Jews, the nation of Israel. And Jesus is going to sit on Mount Zion, on the holy hill in Israel, and rule the world from His throne. And the devil loses. So get on Jesus' side. Get on His side of things. And don't go with the devil. Alright, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for this book. I thank You for Your um, everlasting love. I thank You for Your love that just will not stop. And... uh, that your love that just pursues us. And Lord, we sometimes we do things and we feel so guilty and we feel so condemned and we think that you don't want to see us, you don't want to talk to us, you don't want anything to do with us and nothing can be further from the truth. That you're actually drawing us to you when we've sinned and when we've done wrong and when we've gone astray. You're drawing us to you and you want us to repent You want us to confess our sins. You want us to come back to walking with You every day. And You'll love us. And You'll bless us. And You never get tired of us, Lord. And I don't understand that any more than I understand hell. Lord, the longer that I'm saved, the more I realize I'm not worthy of it. And I don't know why You have anything to do with me. But I know it's because You're good. Because You're love. And because you want me. And so I thank you for that. Thank you for this story. Uh, And one day I look forward to, I get to see it. I get to witness it. One day I'll see you take Israel back and be restored. And and you're going to bless your people. Even though many of them don't want anything to do with you right now. I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that you'd protect each one of us. Protect all the people in our church family. From believing the lie that the devil would tell them. that, That God doesn't want anything to do with them. I pray that, uh, Lord, that you'd just draw us all close to you. Keep us safe from this world and safe from sin. In Jesus.